Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Play Pause Rewind. We are back uh, for our 46th episode. Uh, Niles. Hell yeah. How have you been the last couple weeks? Doing, doing just fine. Just binging a lot of this show that we're talking about today. Uh, you know, there's just so much content these days to get mm-hmm. through. And um, yeah, this one was definitely one of those shows that you just got to... You know, got to set aside some time to watch, but um, but yeah, I've been decent and um, just trying to live every day as I can. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Dylan? How are you? Uh, yeah, pretty good. Um, nothing too huge going on the last couple of weeks. Just, just watching stuff mostly. <laughs> but yeah, just hanging out. But um, yeah, as you alluded to, uh, we are talking about a TV show again this week. And mm-hmm. as always, we'll do non-spoilers for a couple minutes and then spoilers. Uh, so peace out if you haven't watched it uh, at that point. But we're going to talk about HBO's House of the Dragon, the spinoff prequel thing to Game of Thrones. Um, and it is a, it's a prequel, as I just mentioned. And it takes place about 200 years before the original show. And it focuses on the Targaryen family dynasty. Uh, and sort of uh, the years leading up to the event called the Dance of the Dragons and the rifts that are starting to form in the Targaryen clan during the reign of King Viserys. Uh, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, showrunners this time around, Miguel Sapochnik and Ryan Condal with George R. R. Martin co-creating it with them. Uh, of course, author of the books. And the yep. series stars Emma Arce, Olivia Cook. Millie Aycock, Emily Carey, Patty Considine, Matt Smith, and Reese Evans, and uh, many, many more. It's a big cast, as these shows yeah. be. But now that I've talked for two minutes straight, what were your non-spoilery thoughts on House of the Dragon? <laughs> I honestly loved it. It's, um, you know, you were the one who got me into Game of Thrones initially, mm-hmm. Dylan, and then, you know, just kind of became an obsession, of course, for me, and I feel like I've seen every single episode of Game of Thrones probably like two times at least. Yeah. Um, with the exception of season seven and eight, I've I only watched those once. I'm like I'm not going back to those. Um, but you know the that show was just so like just incredible. You know, mm-hmm. like Game of Thrones like really just kind of um, like sent shockwaves through the industry and just showed everyone just how good a tv show like this can be this fantasy kind of genre and really Mm -hmm. open up the doors for i think a lot of stories like this these kinds of big blockbuster kind of episodes that are just like crazy cgi but like it doesn't like dominate there's still lots of great character development it's very like art like just like deep world it's just Mm -hmm. it's such it's such a complex world there's so much world building that went into this like you know and we both read the books too mm-hmm. um you know we're waiting for george r, r. barton to finish it he probably never will because he's working on stuff like this and <laughs> other stuff um so you know at this point i'm like I-, I could take it or leave it if the books come out but you know i'm glad that this show came out because mm-hmm. this um is set in the same universe as game of thrones obviously and but it's it's such a different tone and point of view and it's just got such a different story to tell as well it's not like you know the fallout of of you know the end of the targaryen dynasty it's like no this is the the, the targaryen dynasty you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think the the um i also loved it 
uh, but and and like you said, Game of Thrones was such a huge seminal piece of TV for such a long mm-hmm. time. Like it more so than most other fantasy, except maybe Lord of the Rings, uh, really burst into the mainstream. Uh, mm-hmm. And like in, in college, when we were watching it, like you would hear people whispering on Monday mornings in class about the episode the night before, like everybody was talking about yeah. it. It, it. It broke like all demographic boundaries, which is pretty insane. Uh, and then it ended on such a such a low note. <laughs> they really yeah. they really fucked it in the last <laughs> couple episodes for me. I was on board until halfway through season eight. And then I'm like, what? What are y'all doing? Uh, but yeah, um, on that note, really hard turnaround of quality in between the end of season eight and the start of this. Like it really uh, exceeded I, probably everybody's expectations. I don't think anyone was incredibly hyped to return to Westeros uh, mm-hmm. anytime soon, because if you think about it, uh, we've been in a pandemic for years, prime time to rewatch an eight season epic show. Did anybody sure, yeah. rewatch Game of Thrones? I didn't hear about anybody rewatching <laughs> Game of Thrones. I didn't. Um, but yeah, I, I was in going into this, I was a little worried because on, on the note of the quality from season eight, but also I was like, it just looked like more Game of Thrones. And I didn't need that really because the story, even though I didn't like the ending, had ended. I was I was done, it moved on. Um Mm-hmm. which at the, leading up to the release of these two fantasy shows, I was much more interested in rings of power because it was like, Oh, this is a very different take from the movies that came out when we were kids. And it looks like a different take than the books too. So it's like, Oh, a, a new fresh take. Uh, but this ended up being way more different than uh game of Thrones in a lot of ways. I didn't expect like structurally it set itself way apart uh, much more, uh, small in the scale of its focus. Like it's very much about mm-hmm. the Targaryens and their family drama, but also uh, larger in the sense that it has these massive time jumps in between episodes that are completely distinctive from the way Game of Thrones' story was told. So, yeah, no, I agree with you on a lot of that because, yeah, I think, you know, when I first heard that the show was coming out, I was like, well, cool i guess i'll get around to watching it like it's not like high on my priority list and i agree with you i wasn't super keen on returning back to westeros after season eight um and you know i think that's uh, ultimately you know the showrunners of game of thrones they just had so much to like tie up in Mm -hmm. season eight and we can we don't have to talk about the original series too much but you know like season eight was just like rushed it was just like way too fast so much was packed into it and like they were just trying to do way too much way too fast and Mm -hmm. like i didn't appreciate the pacing you know like just kind of how you were talking about like you compare season eight a game of thrones to like season one or two and it's just like the pacing is just so much different it's It's just very different yeah there's these huge time jumps they try like you know back in the like good old days of game of thrones you know it would be like you know you would spend like multiple episodes getting from like one part of the continent to the nut to another part you know Mm -hmm. like like brand brandon stark like getting north of the wall that was like a whole season of yeah. him just getting like traveling <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you know in season eight it's just like yeah i'm going down to dragonstone and then it's like the next scene you're in dragonstone it's like well that's fucking stupid so yeah i i do want to say though uh a lot of people when that was happening like when season seven and eight were happening it's like 
oh my God, they got there so fast. And it's like, no, it took them the same amount of time. We have just skipped yeah, over exactly. that time. I, 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 I was, it was driving me crazy at the time. They're like, wow, they can just get there in a day now. It's like, no, man, we just skipped out. Like, come on, use your brain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it, was right. so, it was like fandom brain was, is already, was already so rotten a couple of years yeah. ago. But, <laughs> right. um, uh, plug for me, uh, if you're interested in thoughts on Game of Thrones season eight from me, I have a video on my YouTube channel. It's one of my best videos, I think. Uh, so go watch it. I also rewrite the ending to make it what I would want. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah, go check that out. And I think, you know, a lot of people, it's a similar boat, Dylan. Like, I think, you know, I still acknowledge the ending of Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. but in my head, I'm like, no, that's not how I would have done it. And that's my head canon. I got different, you know, thoughts in there. But, yeah. you know, I appreciate with House of the Dragon here, you know, just kind of what you were talking about. This is a much more like, granular story you know mm -hmm. in game of thrones you have the the you know the targaryens you have the starks you have uh the, the, the boltons you have the lannisters you have all these houses mm -hmm. and you have to learn all about them and then like how they kind of like you know are are feeding into each other and affecting each other and like mm -hmm. it's it's just it's it feels like it spans the continent and then you know goes across the <laughs> yeah. sea it spans to, the fucking world <laughs> it, it's just everywhere yeah it spans the fucking world and then this one is like no we're gonna take our time mm -hmm. and we're just gonna focus on one one one, one house and yeah. i appreciate that because you know the more narrowed plot it's like this is this is what the story is about. It's literally about the house of the dragon. And, mm -hmm. you know, one thing that I thought was really neat about this series too, is that I feel like, um, you know, the cinematography to begin with was entirely, but was very different yeah. uh, from the original series. And I think the, some of the notes about the cinematography really reflected that differentiation and how it was really hyper-focused. Like I remember um, in several episodes, not in every episode, but like in a lot of them, you know, there, there'd be these long kind of pandering shots on like a single individual or a group. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I remember specifically when Renera gives birth to one of her kids, it's just like a, a, like a five minute, like follow cam shot yeah. of her, like walking around with the kid. And it's like, they wouldn't have done that in the original Game of Thrones and they didn't. So <laughs> I appreciated that kind of cinematography okay. uh, in this series too. Yeah, it, it was great. And the and I don't think either of us disliked the scope of Thrones or like how we jump around mm -hmm. and get this whole big picture. But it's like, I think it was essential if you're going to return to this world, like tell a different type of story. And I think we will get some of that expansiveness in future seasons of this show. But it was nice to just have a totally different approach to storytelling when we came back. And there are more differences that we'll talk more about in spoilers. But yes, it um it just really differentiated itself from the original show in more ways than I was expecting. And I appreciated that. I, I'm very positive on this. I would recommend it to anyone who liked game of Thrones should watch this. Uh, yes. If you didn't like game of Thrones, maybe you should still watch this, but it really depends on what you didn't like about game of Thrones. <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. If what you didn't like was all the incest, do not watch this show because <laughs> <laughs> this has way more of that. But mm -hmm. interestingly, a lot less sex in general. Uh, yeah, and I'm okay with that. Like, I don't, I don't need, mind. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's whatever, you know. And um, I think the show definitely, 
assumes that anyone who's watching the show has already watched the original series. Like, Probably. You know, it tells you at the start, like, this takes place 200 years before the birth of Daenerys Targaryen mm-hmm. and all this stuff. So it's like, you know, it's very clear this is the story that we're going to tell, but it's also, um, I, I think since it's acknowledging or assuming, assuming that most viewers are going to be having watched the original show, mm-hmm. it kind of like took some liberties of just kind of like breezing through some things. Like it didn't, you know, it didn't take its time to like explain some things and that's, that's true. perfectly fine, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And the show really focuses, um, a lot on the patriarchy of Westeros mm-hmm. and you know the key word there is patriarchy <laughs> yeah I think that's very prevalent in the show because I think our two main protagonists are both female mm-hmm. um and you know but it also talks it's it really focuses on the effect of succession and power um you know kind of those similar themes that we saw in the original series but I think this one's much more um uh, you know focus on the family dynamics uh mm-hmm. inside this one house yeah. And uh, on the note of focusing on patriarchy, like they did bring in a, a variety of female directors and writers, which thank fucking God, because <laughs> after the first episode, when they're doing the inside the episode, like everyone talking is a dude and they're talking about the patriarchy and everyone, I think, correctly clowned on them. It's like, guys, what are you doing? But uh, they <laughs> did have they did have female creative voices behind the scenes writing and directing several of the episodes so that's good they that's how it should be especially if you're gonna tell because uh it should be noted like game of thrones had a lot of themes about the patriarchy too but there were a lot of moments that really fumbled how Mm -hmm. to deal with that because it was being created pretty much exclusively by men thinking about a certain scene with uh sansa ramsey and theon to be specific (laughs) where Mm. Uh, something really terrible is happening to Sansa and instead of having the scene be about her it's about fucking Theon so (laughs) yeah um, that's right (laughs) yeah uh that's probably the most egregious example of that but House of the Dragon hard recommend from me uh do you want to do spoilers yeah let's dive on in yeah definitely recommend this show if you haven't watched it um and if you're okay with spoilers stick around if you haven't watched it (laughs) Mm mm-hmm Yes. So uh, season one of this show, as we alluded to, there are a lot of time jumps. And this season takes place over about 20 years, which is a pretty wild departure from the previous show. Like it um, and it, it works, yeah. as we talked about, to give it a extreme like structural distinction from the first show. And um, yeah, just a really interesting difference and allows for a different type of story to be told. This is a generational mm-hmm. story more so than Game of Thrones. Yeah. And there's like, you know. I think one point of, um, or one interesting point, you know, is that there's these big time jumps uh, between the episodes, you know, like one episode ends with a wedding and then it, and then it jumps forward like five or like mm-hmm. 10 years or however it's been until she has like her third kid, like R- Rhaenyra. Um, so I think like some of those time jumps, it's a little bit like startling at first, mm-hmm. um, but I think they work pretty well overall. I do too. Yeah. Yep. And I would much prefer that than like, you know, some kind of weird cgi de-aging tech or or aging tech like you know i'm i'm perfectly fine with them swapping out the actresses Mm -hmm. and the actors uh for you know older versions of themselves yeah i i initially when i found out they were changing actresses or just performers for several characters midway through i i was concerned for some reason uh Mm -hmm. but it worked totally fine i agree and it's 
it's funny that I had that concern and that a lot of people had that concern because until not that long ago, that was just how it was. If a character aged a lot in a story, like even in a movie, a single movie um, or a TV show, like change actors. That's just how it goes because they got older. It's only in recent years that we're de-aging people and my brain has just been broken by, by <laughs> de-aging tech. I'm like, oh my God, am I going to be able to connect with this character when it's a new person playing them? It's like, yes, I, I was, because of course it was. It's like, it, it, it's like in the Godfather movies when we flash back to <laughs> young mm-hmm. Vito Corleone, it's a different actor and it works just fine. And yeah, it's, it launched it's the career totally of Robert fine. De Niro. Like it's a good thing to do that sometimes. But well, I liked I think- all the performers in this. Yeah, me too. I did. And I think, you know, the casting director or the casting people in this show, they did such a fantastic job because the, you know, the older versions of the younger characters look very similar mm-hmm. in a lot of regards, like especially the um, actresses who played uh, Alice in Hightower. I thought that they did a great job. Mm-hmm. They looked so similar. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, and uh, there was a more like visual difference between Millie Alcock and uh Emma Darcy, but both of them were great. And it, despite the vi- the visual, doesn't even feel like the right word, but the appearance differences between the two, like there was a great mm-hmm. continuity of the character. I never, I never uh, stopped believing that it was the same person. I don't think. Uh, the one weird note about that, though, uh, is that Rhaenyra and Alicent change performers, and a bunch of the other younger characters change performers, but some some characters don't. Viserys mm-hmm. doesn't, Damon doesn't, um, Otto Hightower doesn't, and in uh, especially in Damon's case, like he just looks the same the whole time, mm-hmm. and it's like just an odd decision why why age up some of them but not others, and I understand why Viserys visually changes so much in while mm-hmm. um, in compared to Damon, but Damon looks the exact same. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just so he funny. Can- he gets a haircut at one point, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, he's like this, that then he just get, grows it out again. Like, I yeah. think, I think they should have like with those characters like him and like, you know, even like, um, uh, like Sir Kristen mm-hmm. or, you know, some of yeah, those Sir Kristen doesn't age either. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you guys could have given them like a little bit of makeup or something like just make them look a little bit older. I don't know. Um, or facial they, hair or something or yeah, like, like touches of gray in Sir Kristen, something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, because they just, like, don't <laughs> sir Otto gets grayer i think as the series goes on but yeah and i noticed that like um princess uh Rhaenys, uh, mm-hmm. she um she did i think looked um i i thought she looked a little bit older a little bit by the, they by did the end more. of the end of and the series same with corliss i mean he was mm-hmm. like on death's door for a little bit there but he he looks a little bit older but it, it's just I, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Just like have Damon grow out a beard or something. <laughs> yeah, right. It was the, it was one of the only like weird things about the casting changes is that they was so inconsistent about who did and who did not change. But mm-hmm. um, I on the, on the note of the patriarchy, though, I found it really yes. interesting to watch the different ways that Rhaenyra and Alicent specifically navigated the oppressive nature of that patriarchy and Rainey's too uh to a lesser extent but Rainier really pushes boundaries and behaves in a more sexually liberated way where um Alicent it it's much more trapped I think in the system and uh she's even called out for that by Rainey's later mm-hmm. on like Rainey says like you're content to live in your room and just like 
shape your window or something like that. Like Alicent is very much more a slave to the system than Rhaenyra is, I think. And that was interesting to compare the two characters. And I think that's where some of Alicent's early resentment towards Rhaenyra for the middle part of the season comes from is that Rhaenyra does what she wants to do and is not getting in trouble for it. And Alicent is never granted that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting too, because these two protagonists, um, mm-hmm. they share the spotlight, I would say, throughout the majority of the season. And yeah, I think you kind of hit it right on the head. Um, they're both, you know, victims in a way, I think of this system. Mm-hmm. Um, less so Rhaenyra in some ways, because she can get away with a lot of things. And like her yeah. father is the king. Like she can, you know, um, she can, she could get away with murder if she wanted to, but um, mm-hmm. she doesn't, um, you know, but it's like you were saying, like it's with Allison, she's much more subservient to the men who dominate the system. Like her mm-hmm. father, uh, she's like just kind of being a pawn, being manipulated by him. And then she's just kind of there for Viserys as someone to lean on and, you know, yeah. father, father's children and stuff. And like, you know, in this male dominated um, society, and thank you for listening to this male dominated podcast, by the way, but it's, um, you know, it, it was kind of interesting to just see, how she was trying to navigate through the system, even though she did have power, but, Mm -hmm. you know, she did kind of have to claw her way up from, you know, not necessarily the bottom because she was already very close to the, to the Royal family, but yeah. um, You know, it was like, she had to work for everything in her life and no one wanted to take her side because they really Mm -hmm. saw her as like a snake, even though at the end of the day, she was just trying to do the best by her and best by her family, you know? Yeah. And I, and I want to talk more about that in a, section later on specifically yes. about her but um yeah she does kind of seem like she's just being played by all angles and there is a difference apparently in the in the book fire and blood and her version in the show uh in mm-hmm. in the book from what i understand she is like um a manipulative snake like you said like she's a conspiring yeah. like usurper character uh and in the show she's much more nuanced than that Uh, And I think that portrayal upset a lot of fans of the book. But what I've come to understand about Fire and Blood is that it is not just a book about this time period. It is an in-universe text written by the uh, Grand Maester, uh, who is on the Mm. Green Council at the end, who, as the show shows us, is part of the conspiracy to crown Aegon. So if that is all true and it's written by him, he's probably writing it in a manner that makes him look better and Alicent look like a ringleader of some sort. So I really enjoyed yeah. the nuance of Alicent's character. And um, I think maybe Emily Carey, who plays a younger version of the character, said this, but I definitely read into it that uh, Alicent had some love for Rhaenyra, like romantically. Um, and we see, <laughs> I, I, I got vibes that she was kind of into her, but didn't really know how to express that. And I, I could have just read something totally fake, but I think Emily Carey was trying to play it that way as well, that she loved Rhaenyra, but didn't really have the vocabulary in her brain for what that was, because this is a very heteronormative society. Um, uh, no, no, uh, Sir Loris's yet. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but the, um, but, and we also see, like, there's a scene where she and Viserys are having sex, and she just looks, like, so bored and miserable. And you could read that as either he's just bad at sex, or she's 
not attracted to him because he's an older man or she's just not attracted to men. And that was how I read it. Um, mm. But that would also explain to a greater degree why she feels so betrayed when uh, Rhaenyra lies to her kind of about like, did you sleep with, she specifically asked Damon, which is how Rhaenyra weasels out of the question. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, but there are also other reads that she's in love with Kristen Cole, which I guess fine. Yeah. Whatever. I think the, the betrayal of that scene works better if she was in love with Rhaenyra though, which makes her That's doubly a-, a victim of this patriarchy, both as a woman and as a gay person. That's really interesting. I guess I didn't really pick up on that stuff. Um, just got my male blinders on. Uh, but I guess now, like, just thinking back on all those scenes, that does add up a little bit more. I mean, I always just, like, the scene with her and Viserys, you know, doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of assumed, it, you know, obviously she's just doing her duty. And I right. think that's kind of how she always thought of it. Like, this is my duty mm-hmm. as the wife of the king to just kind of be here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's subservient to him unfortunately but that is that's interesting i'll have to my my girlfriend she didn't watch the series she just kind of watched over my shoulder from mm-hmm. time to time so whenever she goes back to watch it i might rewatch some of those episodes now because that's yeah it's got me thinking a lot more <laughs> but but there is even if it's not romantic there is this like love between the two early on oh, that is that is shattered and um I think it really is a lot of the emotional core of this first season is the sadness of that relationship falling apart. Uh, and and the real tragedy at the end is that they almost patch it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> almost. They're, they're so close. And then it just goes to shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, with Rhaenyra too, um, I, th- I, th- I, do, I did kind of pick up on that, that they always did have this like distant friendship, you know, mm-hmm. between the two of them. Uh, but, you know, Rhaenyra on the flip side of Alicent, you know, she's, even though she's the heir to the throne, it's constantly put into question because mm-hmm. of her gender. Yeah. Um, like that status of hers, like just because she's a woman, people aren't going to follow her. Um, and then, you know, her sexual promiscuity, um, mm-hmm. you know, even though that she gets like, she only has sex with like Sir Kristen for like once. once. And then all of a sudden yeah. she's like a whore. Um, and then, you know, she does that stuff with this, with, with strong or whatever or his name Harwin is. Harwin strong, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's the new hand of the King's son after Otto gets fired. Uh, yes. Lord Lord yes. Strong, who is like, love Lord Strong, man. What a good hand of the king. Just like yeah. loyal, gives honest, good advice. And then his son murders him with fire. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like all these male characters, like they, they, they pointed out directly in the show, like if she was a, if Rhaenyra was a guy, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't even matter if she was just like fucking around at whorehouses. Exactly. Or like that. Yeah. Like it, you know, and they, I, and they definitely, you know kind of pointed this out in the original series too of like you know robert baratheon's fucking whoring around and mm-hmm. queen cersei has to kind of just sit there in the red keep and she can do her thing with jamie lannister but they got to keep that under wraps and but you yeah. know like these male characters because it's a patriarchy they can just get away with all this stuff and even Aegon does in this show too and it's mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating <laughs> to yeah say the least well and in the and like there's the sexism angle of that obviously Mm. but then the other the other element of why the male characters are able to do this and the female characters are not is that the um succession and the legitimacy of the heirs is called into question for i guess the 
because of what Rhaenyra does is the reason they call that into question because none of yeah. her kids are um, Valerian's. Oh God, what was his name? Leonor's kids. But like at the end of the day, who gives a fuck? Um, not me, but <laughs> not Leonor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he's um, like, I don't care. They're my kids. I love them. <laughs> yeah, he did. He was a he was a okay dad, I guess. He seemed like he, he was, was pretty neglectful, but he he cared about them. But um, yeah. And you have a note here, and I also appreciated this how Alicent just like stands up to her dad pretty firmly at the end. Yeah, it was pretty was cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, God, Otto Hightower, what a dickhead, man. Like he's such a great yeah. character, but he's such an asshole. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's tough to, like, you know, there, there, there's, like, certain characters from Game of Thrones that just stand above the rest, mm-hmm. like Tywin Lannister, you know? Like, Tywin Lannister is, like, a fucking legend, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. like, you compare him to Otto Hightower, and I saw a lot of similarities between the two there, but, like, you know, Tywin's ruthless and relentless, and Otto's, like, mm-hmm. he's, like, we're going to take our time, we're going to build this up, and I'm going to yeah. use whatever means I have to get there. Like, it wasn't, like, as aggressive, I would say, as Tywin. <laughs> He's kind of a hybrid of Littlefinger and Tywin, almost. Yeah. Like, he a has bit. a lot of that, and there's a much more Littlefinger-esque character in this show, but Otto Hightower does have elements of that manipulation in there, um, because you can tell he's always out for his own advancement at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, he uh, really is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you have a note here about character focus. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's like, it's probably, I do love this show a lot. And I thought there was a lot of great elements to it. And there's certainly opportunity to, for improvement here. Because mm-hmm. uh, from what I heard uh, through the grapevine of social media, I think they're planning, or George R. R. Martin was like, I think we need about four seasons of mm-hmm. the show to properly tell this tale. So we got yes. at least three more seasons of House of the Dragon. Um, but I thought, you know, in this season, it really it's one of my few complaints is about the character focus and the show spends a lot of time really focusing on like a handful of characters maybe like Mm -hmm. about like 10 maybe 12 characters and it spends its time like really focusing on them and developing them and rightly so because this show is called house of the dragon and if you have a few more seasons left then you have plenty of time to develop the rest of these characters that are kind of more side characters in this first season but Mm -hmm. you know that all said I think that they barely spent time developing some of these other characters and really kind of giving them um, screen time. Like Mm -hmm. Sir Kristen, for example, even though he is kind of in every episode and he's a kind of grudge holding cunt, uh, you know, he's, um, I know nothing about him besides the fact that he's just kind of like this, 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 like, this, this guy. He Um, seems so chill for the first couple episodes and then just is like, peak incel for the rest of the show (laughs) seriously yeah like but like i would have loved to learn even a little bit about where he came from but like whatever um and then you know like the um uh the valerian girls um yeah um, uh, like damon's daughters yeah yeah damon's daughters like lena or or lena was and his wife wife, i guess too yeah 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 bela rania or reina i think Mm -hmm. it's pronounced um but like I think those girls, his daughters, they get like six lines in the show yeah, that's or something true. like that. Like it's like it's a 10 hour long show and these girls get like no screen time except just being side characters. And then like all of a sudden, you know, some of these uh, like this one um, uh, Aegon's wife, mm-hmm. Helena, 
where the fuck did she come from? Did I miss she was, something? She was around the whole time, dude. I didn't fucking notice her. <laughs> well, she um, she was like, she behaved kind of weird in earlier episodes. Um, was kind of like distant or whatever, and then she stops being distant. I don't know if they, they don't. The characters don't seem to know why, but I, I do kind of agree. There was like there were like two tiers of characters in terms of yes. focus, but I also want to say, and I don't know because it's been so long, but. I would be curious if, like, we went back and rewatched Game of Thrones season one. Maybe same thing there. I don't know. I, I like, I because we got to know those characters, the ones that survived over the course of eight seasons. So, like, we know all of them, even like more minor characters, like like Bar- like Barrison Selmy would be a great example. Like, he doesn't do shit in season one. He's just kind of around, and then he gets mad and throws his cloak down and leaves. Um, but then he becomes a much more developed character later on. So maybe, maybe mm-hmm. it's just a symptom of first season. You got to establish these key players and we'll get more in subsequent seasons. So I, I think so remains to be seen, I think, but I do agree that there, there were, and there were like weird things. It's like, what, how, how was Kristen Cole allowed to continue doing his job? <laughs> I know. Like <laughs> she just kind of sweeps it under the rug. Like, yeah. oh, it doesn't matter. You broke your oath. You're still kind of loyal to me. And it's like, no, that shouldn't. No, fuck him. <laughs> dude, gets, dude gets rejected by one woman and immediately commits a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, but like even um, like like the, uh, the strong characters, like Sir Harwin Strong, mm-hmm. I think he's like introduced at um, Lena, uh, like uh, Raina's wedding or, mm-hmm. or Rhaenyra's wedding. To, Rhaenyra's to Lain- like pre-wedding ceremony thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just very briefly introduced. And then the next episode after the time jump, it's like, oh, we've been having this like this decades long affair. And it's mm-hmm. like, where the fuck did that come from? Like, I, yeah. I just wish, I just wish just, just some of these characters just got a little bit more screen time so they could have been more developed. But like we've kind of already said, mm-hmm. it, you know, there's going to be another season. There's going to be another two, three seasons, plenty of time to fully flesh out mm-hmm. some of these characters, the characters that survive. <laughs> yeah. And with Sir Harwin's a good example because like in the episode, we get to hang out with him. Like he's kind of just a cool himbo dad. Um, mm-hmm. And then he dies. Uh, but we, and Rhaenyra is hurt by that, but we're not, I didn't really mourn him as much because we just fucking met the dude. And I oh, definitely like I was bummed out that he died because he seemed chill. But it's like we maybe just one more episode where he's alive before he gets, you know, yoinked. Um, mm-hmm. But th- that him dying is actually one of the first examples, I think, of Alicent sort of being out of her depth, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting, like because she's dealing with Harwin's brother, Sir Laris Strong. And he mm-hmm. is the, the little finger of this show, I think. Um, yes, he is. Little, little freak <laughs> <laughs> yeah a little little pervy weird freak <laughs> okay sorry i sh- we shouldn't kink shame if feet are your thing that's fine i don't get it i don't understand it but if that's your thing it's fine but that scene did not need to go as far as it went i will say that <laughs> he could have just it looked was- at the feet he did not need to jack off in the room with her that was too much don't do that that's that's rude <laughs> kink shaming is my kink so oh okay <laughs> i don't know what to do about that, that man i, I just <laughs> love that joke <laughs> but yeah that 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 scene was very bizarre uh um, you know he's he's a 
interesting character and yeah i think he's like one of those characters too that i would like that that we are going to see more of Mm -hmm. we haven't seen the last of him he's going to continue to like kind of climb the ladder yeah this is my prediction he's not going anywhere he's going to be the little finger for these next uh few seasons as i predict or at least like maybe like maybe some version of like um lord varus merged with little finger because like he's starting to get kind of like a little bit more into the spy Mm-hmm. network i guess a little bit well, little, but... little finger had that too remember i guess yeah, Var- yeah. varus was the spy master but yeah um laris is a devious little fucker um but he also now has a lot of blackmail on alicent i guess because he's done all this stuff for her but yeah um, stuff she didn't always ask for but yes <laughs> right that's true uh <laughs> but um yeah i i don't know why but i never expected a uh, foot fetish to come to westeros but everything's on the table here so whatever yeah (laughs) Um, all sorts of things yeah one one thing i did enjoy especially early on it's just a little thing but the the differences in this era between or the differences of this era compared to the era of game of thrones like different houses are in um, positions Mm -hmm. of power like the high towers the high towers are not in power in game of thrones and uh, I was like, oh, I wonder why they weren't a big house so much anymore. It's because they were loyal to the Targaryens until the end. Uh, and so when Robert's Rebellion happened, they were sort of booted out of court. Um, and then we also get like the Dragon Pit is fully mm-hmm. con- in- intact and is a major like landmark in King's Landing. Whereas in yeah. the original show, we don't even see it until towards the end. And then it's a ruin. Right. And then um, also the, the Sept is different. The Sept of Baylor hasn't been built yet. So there's a different mm-hmm. sept in the city, which was kind of fun. Um, just little yeah. little things like that. And the 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 tournament scene in the first episode, when you compare it to the tournament in um in season one of Game of Thrones, and part of this, I'm sure, is just the real life budget of the show. But the tourney in House of the Dragon is in this giant arena. There are tons of people there, tons of competitors and elaborate armor. And then the one in Game of Thrones is like in the forest. And it's just like mm-hmm. some bleachers and it's like Robert's kingdom was such a like broke bitch ass era compared to the height of the Targaryens. And yeah. Again, bit. again, that might just be budgetary constraints, but it really like it, it paints a picture that Robert was like a shit king, which we know he was. And also yeah. that the realm was bankrupt, which we know it was. So it, it adds, you know, a nice contrast to this like dynasty at the height of their power. As opposed to mm-hmm. the the usurper king who followed them on, which is yeah, kind of cool. Just nice world, yeah. intentional or not. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciated those differences too. And you know, one thing that I thought is just kind of funny. You know, of course, you know, c- civilization it it takes a while for things to advance. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, things don't happen like within just the span of a few hundred years. You know, like things take time to change and evolve. <clears throat> yeah. um, but you know. Like, it's just, it's just kind of funny to me how just like this era of Game of Thrones is just so similar (laughs) to the other one that we got. It's like, wow, you guys really didn't progress in 200 years of like, (laughs) didn't like get too many new technological revolutions, but that's fine. That's fine. You know, it's Game of Thrones. It's medieval. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of fantasy universes. So like they don't, a lot of them don't progress technologically all that much. (laughs) Yeah, but, and that's totally fine. It was just it's kind of funny. It is, it is um, kind of funny though that they like <laughs> never go past it. Yeah, they're always fighting with swords. They never like discover gunpowder or anything. It's just <laughs> they're always doing the same thing. But you know, speaking of 
Robert Baratheon um, as king. I think we got to talk about King Viserys for yeah. a little bit. What a, what an interesting character. I I really loved this uh, character. He's like, he just seems so over it at every point <laughs> in the show. Like he, and he, he seems like a pretty chill dude at the beginning. He's like, his council loves him. Like they're all mm-hmm. cracking jokes around the small council table. Um, but he's just like, he's not a very good king, but he's trying his best. <laughs> and um, he, he ultimately like, he he does his best to like maintain the peace and then just completely fucks it up like seconds mm-hmm. before he dies. Um, and I really I I thought it was really nice that George R. R. Martin uh complimented him on his uh Patty Considine on his performance and mm-hmm. said that his Viserys is now the definitive version of the character. And he and he was like, I'm tempted to go back and rewrite all of the chapters about King Viserys's reign because of this performance, which I think is just really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. you know, it's, I, that's kind of rare, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah, he was, um, he did a great job with this performance and yeah, I heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like he was mm-hmm. definitely over it, even, you know, just like 10 years into his reign. He's like, I don't give a shit about this, but like you said, yeah, he's just trying to maintain the peace. And, you know, I thought that he's, you know, honestly, probably the best king that Westeros has ever seen. <laughs> At least that we've with, seen. Yeah. Yes, that we have seen of Westeros. Mm-hmm. Like he's far better than Joffrey or the Baratheon. Um, you know, just way better. And you know, <laughs> the Baratheon. I, yeah, the Baratheon. Uh, <laughs> I and I really did um, like his performance and the character in general was like just so sweet and endearing too because mm-hmm. he ultimately even though he's this sick dying man and he takes uh, forever to die uh he just loves his family unconditionally yeah. it doesn't matter if they um are bastards or anything like that and everyone can plainly see it he just sees them for what they are and it's his mm-hmm. family and he just loves them and it's kind of like kind of like ned stark to a certain degree uh like he just loves his family it doesn't matter where they came from or you know yeah like if, if they're like just complete like fuckwits or whatever, like he just he just loves them. And he's a very I, simple man in a very complicated position, I think. Yes. But yes. Uh, he, I mean, he does do, I would say, one pretty fucked up thing at the, in the premiere mm-hmm. when um when it becomes clear that his wife's labor is not going to work properly. Yes. He does uh, forcibly slice her open and kill her. But um, I mean, that's not great. Not going to defend that. But he. Nope. uh and and we can talk more about this when we talk about Damon, but it's an interesting contrast between him and between his brother, because when uh, when talking to the maesters, Viserys is like, will the baby survive? And then when Damon is put in the same situation later on in the show, he asks, will the mother survive? Like, will my wife survive? Mm-hmm. So Viserys possibly as a consequence of being the king and not having a male heir yet is thinking more about his legacy and his dynasty than his wife which is a pretty big character flaw, but I think it just almost adds to the element of he didn't ask for this. He doesn't want to be in this position. It's too much for him. He's not that good at it. (laughs) He's Um, fine at it. (laughs) He just wants to build his little, his little diorama. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to build his little diorama of old Valyria and be left alone. Mm. And he just is dying constantly every episode that ended with him still alive left me shocked 
because <laughs> it seemed like it seemed like he was gonna die at the end of every episode. Yeah, right. He just he just kept on trucking until he didn't. Um, but he does have that triumphant moment in his last episode where he enters the throne room. He looks like yes. shit. He can barely walk, but he like, I love how he sits down and he's like, I'm confused. Like, why are we having this conversation about succession mm-hmm. to something that was decided years ago? And everybody's like, oh, <laughs> except for, yeah. except for Lord Corliss's brother. Who's yeah. a fucking yeah. idiot. Oh boy. That guy didn't know when to shut up. <laughs> no, he was like, oh God. Talking about people being out of their depth. What the fuck was he thinking? <laughs> yeah, like, dude, you're in the core of the king. Uh, yeah. you, you, he got what he what he what he was asking for. <laughs> yeah. But Viserys is a very sad, tragic character ultimately because, like, just the embodiment of like E for effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. He is it very interesting. And on the flip side of the coin, you know, his brother, Damon, mm-hmm. um, I honestly think he was probably one of my favorite characters in the show. Um, I just loved everything that he did. He was just fascinating. And um, uh, what is that actor's name? Matt Smith. Matt Smith. He just mm-hmm. brought like such gravity to this role and he didn't even like have a ton of lines. You know, a lot of his mm-hmm. like screen time was just him just kind of like looking broodingly mm-hmm. kind of like yes. Jon Snow into he does degree. brood and, quite a lot <laughs> and but like he's just such a powerful actor like he can just kind of convey these emotions just by just by standing there and looking ominously or like not saying a word like the whole scene where he kills his wife was like oh my god yeah <laughs> that was like whoa like, it just he didn't say a single word in that and but like he was able to just like communicate exactly what he was going to do what his intentions were and yeah I he would, he gave such a powerful performance um so i i really appreciated him i thought he was probably yeah my favorite character yeah he's he's like the most game of thrones character that ever game of thrones character like he does some really <laughs> fucked up shit but he also has moments of like genuine empathy and kindness like um when uh well, I, I guess you he, I think there's there's a turning point for him mm-hmm. when his wife is uh, in labor and dying because he, you know, in the in the first couple episodes, he mocks the death of Viserys's son, the heir for a day. Remember, and he's like making oh, jokes yes. about it in the in the in the brothel with all of his pals. But then when he's put in that same situation, I think maybe that grows him uh, and makes him realize like how fucked up that was, because when he comes back, you know, he like. When um when Viserys drops his crown and is stumbling, like Damon comes up and just helps him to like maintain his dignity while he comes up those steps. I think that's a really great scene. Uh, yes, it, he's just such a great gray character because, like, and and especially with Rhaenyra, like he chokes her at one point. He kind of sexually abuses her when she's younger, but then he just becomes like a mostly loyal like king consort to her where like mm-hmm. when that guy is mouthing when Corliss's brother is mouthing off about her in court he just kind of like looks over at her and she nods and he goes and chops his head off without a word like <laughs> he's yeah. just such a he embodies like so much range in morality it's wild <laughs> yeah yeah and I think he he definitely grows a little bit um and I'm very interested to see where his character goes next Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you know, like like you kind of were saying, I think when he becomes 
more of a father uh, with his daughters and then with um, Rainier's children, mm-hmm. he starts to grow a little bit more and take more accountability for his actions. And I think he feels the weight of responsibility on yeah. his shoulders at those at those moments. And I think he d- did some good growing up through this series. And um, yeah, he was just very cool. And I appreciated every scene that he was in. I wanted more of him. <laughs> his his action scene against the Triarchy army was so epic. Like his, awesome. he, get, he gets word that his brother's going to come help out. And he's like, fuck that. And he does a suicide <laughs> bum rush charge to which, and it's uh, similar to, I think, Jon Snow in the Battle of the Bastards. Like he survives, but only because he's lucky, basically. <laughs> he's a badass, mm-hmm, a but that can only take you so far in this world. Like it's not like a Lord of the Rings or something like that, where you kind of, are larger than life if you're a main character in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think he's one of George R. R. Martin's favorite characters in the universe as well. So he's very cool. I yeah. like that. I like I like that scene too, like where he's like flying the dragon and the soldier is like dying on the ground. He's like, My prince, you're here to save me. And then he like <laughs> steps on him with the dragon. And it's oh like, my God. <laughs> no, he fucking wasn't. He's here, he's here to fuck shit up. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and one, since you mentioned dragon, one thing I didn't write down, but I love the different, how different each of the dragons are. Like they all, yes. they all moved very differently, especially Damon's dragon who moves very in a very like snake-like way. Um, and I know dragons are all sort of like serpent-esque, but this one really moves in a wily way. And then we have Vagar, the, the big dragon, um, the mm-hmm. massive huge, one yeah, from, huge. um, one of the uh, one of Aegon the Conqueror's sister wives dragons, apparently. It's the last one of those, I think. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's why it's so fucking gigantic. But uh, yeah, one one critique about the dragon. So is I was never fully clear on how many there were and who had them and whose was whose and all that. I, we'll probably get more of that later on, but I was. At the in the yeah. finale, when Damon's like, "We have these dragons," and I'm like, "Okay, I didn't know you had that many." And I, I just, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's not a huge it, complaint. But it was just a little weird. It, it was a change from the last show. Yeah, yeah, and they they spent like one scene in like the dragon pit training or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. like that was like the like a small glimpse into how they learn high valyrian and like communicate with the dragons and everything. But it's like, just give us a little bit more of that, and I'm sure that they will. So. Yeah. But um, let's let's jump away from characters for just a second. Talk about the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, of course, the name of the book series, but also in reference to a prophecy and uh, now Aegon's dream. And I don't know yes. if that's from the lore or not, but it's in this show. And it's uh, what do you think about Aegon's dream of Ice and Fire? I think it's I mean, it's an interesting plot element to add, but there's like a there's a part of me that feels like it's a silly fucking rule to have Mm -hmm. it being passed from the king to the heir. Like I didn't see a logical reason at that point when he's talking about this of like, why does this have to be a secret? Why can't we just tell everyone about this so we can start preparing for this long winter whenever it's going to get here? Like I just didn't, I just didn't get why that wasn't just like, let's just make this common knowledge. But you know, I'm sure that in the next two seasons or whatever, it will that secret will get leaked to mm-hmm. the world and that's probably where the 
or at least that will be another source for where the prophecy will come from. Cause I know there's also the Azora high thing. And I think that's like, I don't know if that's a tied with the song of ice and fire, but I think that's like more from the, um, from the Osos. red priest. Yeah. 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 The red priest. So I think like, you know, these different, of course, these different religions have different religions, prophecies, yeah. mm-hmm. but they're all connected in this way. So, yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about this. And again, I don't know if this is in the books um, mm-hmm. in the same way. I, I know there is the song of ice and fire. I forget where that comes from exactly in the books. It's been so long since I've read them, but yeah, um, I, I agree. It's kind of weird. I can understand how, like if they publicized, Oh, we're operating off of this dream that egg on the conqueror had, like some people would be like, okay, dude. But um, yeah, it, it, the secret felt, it wasn't my favorite element of the show and it almost feels like it's there only to facilitate the misunderstanding that leads to this conflict. Um, because of course, at least in the show version of this story, Alicent really only pushes to crown Aegon at the end because she misunderstands Viserys's like dying ramblings about the dream as, Oh, you need to crown Aegon. Um, which uh, I, I actually think a lot of people are like, oh, it robs the characters of agency, blah, blah, blah. I think it, um, I get that, but I actually think it's more interesting than Alicent just being duplicitous and um, a usurper because it, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it adds this element of tragedy where like both she and Rhaenyra seem like they actually were trying to patch things up. And then because like you said, Alicent sees herself as this very dutiful person and she thinks that this is her husband's dying wish like she's going yep. to act on it and that almost makes it more sad that she uh does all of this yeah well i think it's um but it is it kind is, of a silly premise it is it is kind of silly uh, i think it works it's it's just kind of a little clunky and but yeah, at the end of the day, they both think that they're in the right. Like Allison mm-hmm. think that, thinks that she's fulfilling the dying wish of her late husband. And that's why she's pushing for this. She thinks it's the right thing to do because that's what she, that's what he told her at the end of his life. But, mm-hmm. oh no, no. Like, but renera has got this whole other idea in her head. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that was one of my other complaints was just like that. Why does it have to be a secret? Um, Mm-hmm. yeah and i i didn't yeah and i didn't have a lot of complaints about this show like there was one complaint that i had to about the um i think it was like the fifth or sixth episode it's like the it's the episode where aemond basically gets vagar mm-hmm. um or rides rides that dragon yeah that entire there's like there's like a good portion of that episode like 30 40 minutes that's like in the twilight mm-hmm. time where yeah. it's just like everything is lit by moonlight and it's the darkest motherfucking thing like to watch. Like I just, I, I mean, I was watching it during the day, so it was really hard to see, but like, yeah. I think that was just way too dark. Like that episode should have been a little bit like lighter or something like that. That was like just one small complaint. Yeah, I, I've seen that complaint a lot. What's interesting about that actually is um, they did day for night shooting for that. And if you don't know what day oh. for night shooting is, is it's when you shoot a scene in the day and then in post-production, I don't actually know how they do it. I don't remember, but they change it to where it's at night. And I think a lot of people's theory is it's just the the lighting that day was not ideal conditions for day for night Mm. shooting. And so it didn't work out. Uh, But there have been a lot of episodes of Game of Thrones that people are like, it's too fucking dark and I cannot see. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 
I personally have not had that problem for whatever reason, but it seems like it's very common. And um, it seems to be an issue in a lot of cases about people's TV settings, uh, mm. which I, I get from a production standpoint, like you want to, like in the, the Battle of Winterfell episode in Game of Thrones, they wanted to yes. use all natural light sources. And that episode looked dark as shit for most people. Um, and if you're a movie that's being released theatrically, like you can do that type of shit because you're being played on a really high quality projection system in a dark room and stuff like that. But I don't think you should make decisions like that when you're making a TV show because the primary way people watch TV is in their living rooms on their TV. And most people do not know how to operate their TV settings in a way that optimizes viewing. So like, I, I think it's kind of stupid for them to keep doing this, assuming that people yeah. have ideal viewing conditions in their like home viewing setups, you know? Like, yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. But uh, just moving on a little bit. Uh, Viserys has a quote very early on in the show that says the idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. And um, damn dude, you really nailed it. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes, it is. Because both Lucerys and Aemon lose control of their dragons in the season finale, leading to a very, very upsetting moment where uh, Lucerys and his dragon, uh, oh God, what was his dragon's name? Arax. They just get, um, they just get chomped like Halloween candy and it makes, made me really sad. I didn't like it. Yeah, that. I got, I got a little like, you know, heartbroken about that because it's like, oh, he's just a child. <laughs> like, he's just a child and the dragon. And like just before you see them like running to each other and it's like really cute. And it's like, oh, we got to get out of here. Run, run, run. And then I, oh, it's so sad because they're so, they're so tiny. They're so little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, they just get fucking eviscerated by this behemoth. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was such a such an epic battle. Very. It was satisfying. a great sequence. Yeah, I. Yeah. One, I love that we finally get to see Storm's End. What a cool yes. looking castle! It was so neat. But that, um, I love it. Yeah. And, and the dragon battle seek or dragon chase, I guess, is better. It, I really love because we see sort of the the pros and cons of various different dragon sizes, like um. Lucerus is able to be much more maneuverable and quick because his dragon is a little, little tiny guy. Um, yeah. And, um, but ultimately, like, they're going to be slower in the long run and they can get, like, wiped out in a bite. Uh, but mm -hmm. the, um, they both lose control of their dragons and the, that's what pushes, will push their families over the edge into all out war, I think, because up yeah. until that point, I felt at least like there was still a chance for peace. Um, which I want to talk about more in a bit, but uh, and I loved Eamon's face afterward too. He's like, "Oh no, yeah, he knows that he fucked up." Oh, he fucked up so bad. It's gonna come back to bite him. But yeah, and I I appreciated that. I really appreciated that quote um, that you just mentioned. The idea that we control the dragons is an illusion because I'm mm -hmm. just starting to think about all the things that are being controlled in this mm -hmm. series. And you know, it's the it's the people that are being controlled. It's um, the women that are being controlled. But you know, control is an illusion. Yeah. Uh, just as he was saying. So I think, you know, there's some ways that we that we can kind of take that quote and kind of apply it to other parts of this series. Because yes, the dragons, at the end of the day, are not house cats. They're not 
dogs right. that yeah. we can just like command around or just lay around and wait for our beck and call like dragons mm-hmm. are autonomous beings that are clearly smart and you know since we saw at the end of episode uh, of, of season eight of game of thrones they understand the symbolism of thrones um which is why he <laughs> melted the throne <laughs> um like, oh that made but- so many people so mad <laughs> yeah i know right i just had to mention it but yeah um but yeah i th- I, I just like that quote i think it's very powerful so thanks for bringing that up but and they're they're like weapons of mass destruction i i think yes. i think that parallel is very intentional in the books like and it, i i think there are points in the in the various texts that allude to the doom of valyria was in part caused by the dragons like these are there are forces that men never should have trifled with i think viserys also says that but mm-hmm. um and it's easy for us to forget that when watching these shows, especially like coming up through Game of Thrones through the years, because we saw the dragons as like little babies and we see them grow up and we grew attached to them. And yes. then in season eight, she's using Drogon to like murder half a million people. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> it gets really dark really quick. Uh- yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is really interesting. And, and the fact that the like when we're first introduced to Vagar too, like mm-hmm. he just seems like a dopey big old dog almost. So it lulls yeah. us into a false sense of security with her. Um, I said him. I think Vagar is supposed to be a girl dragon. Um, but very interesting. And uh, God, you think he's escaped, but then it just the camera keeps holding on him. It's like nope, this shot's too long. They should have. Yeah, they like should have. They should have cut by now if he was going to be safe. <laughs> Oh, well, someone's got to die first, and at least it wasn't uh, Jace. <laughs> Is he the older son? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Like, if it was the younger yeah. and and I guess one other positive for um, his death now, he doesn't have to worry about becoming the Lord of Driftmark. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about that. He's yeah, he doesn't, have, he doesn't have to worry about <laughs> everyone else. Be Oh, my God, the irony of that now. Because remember, he's like, I don't want to be Lord of Driftmark because if I'm Lord here, it means everybody is dead. Well, you're the one, you're the first one to go, kid. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, but it's even more sad because like his venture was supposed to be, in retrospect, like why would that be the safer one? He's going closer to King's Landing than the older kid. But like that was supposed to be the easier journey. It was like short and he was supposed to be welcomed with hospitality. Um, Mm -hmm. But of course, Amond is there being his anime villain self, which I just love that whole, that guy's whole aesthetic. It's so funny. He has, it's amazing. He's like cosplaying as Damon, but then also has an eye patch. And then underneath the eye patch has like a blue gemstone for his replacement eye. I was like, God damn, this guy is so extra. It's hilarious. I love him. And like, he's just so interesting. He's my, I think he's my other, one of my other top favorite characters um, too. just, and I, I want to see more of him. I want to learn more about mm-hmm. him, but you know, just cause like I connected with him a little bit uh, in that one scene where they gave him the pig, you know, like this is your dragon. Oh like, my kind God. Of, like, yeah. Teasing him and it's like, he's going to turn real evil and yeah. that's going to be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and he's evil in a different way to his older brother. Like he's sensible to a degree he's ta- he takes his personal grudge so far that he accidentally kills his cousin which is stupid um mm-hmm. because like what are you thinking man 
yeah, you're going to chase him on your yeah. big fuck off dragon. Like, what do you think the end result of this scenario is going to be? Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but silly. But in contrast to Aegon, who is like a serial rapist, um, Aemon seems good by comparison. <laughs> You know, yes. and I loved yeah, when they're ca- when they're catching him, and Aegon's like, "I'm not fit to be king." It's like, "Yeah, no, you're not." But this is how it is, man. <laughs> you won't get no complaint from me. Yeah, but yeah, like if it's um, it'll be interesting in the next season to see like what kind of king Aegon will be, and mm-hmm. if there's any kind of like attempt from Aemon to like kind of claim the throne from him. But mm. I don't, I don't know if there will be. But that's just kind of me speculating a little bit. Yeah, I, I did. I did think it was interesting the um them using the symbolism of Aegon's crown and Aegon's sword and uh mm-hmm. all all the and in the dragon pit like they do take Aegon who looks like a like a little dopey piece of shit and it does make him look kind of badass both to us and the people there and then of course Rhaenys busting out of the dragon pit is so hilarious to me because I'm like you could have waited like 20 minutes and they would have left. Like they would have been gone. You did not have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you just killed hundreds of people, but it's okay. <laughs> For no reason. And then arbitrarily like spared the the greens. Like <laughs> I know. Like I kept seeing those memes of like people just shouting at the TV when she's like got that, got the kill shot mm-hmm. on the greens. It's just like, just say it, just say Dracarys and it's over. Like yeah. you got it. But then like, she's like, no, I, I didn't want to draw first blood. It's like, right. Fuck you. <laughs> like, like narratively, I am glad that the greens are alive. They're interesting characters yes. and it would be a boring story if they died, but it's one of those situations where as a writer, don't put yourself in that situation. You didn't have to have her bust out of the dragon pit right in that second you just didn't have to do that and since you did you make this weird scene that people are gonna make fun of forever <laughs> yes just a little bit just yeah. a little bit <laughs> but um let's we've we've saved it towards the end but let's talk about our two protagonists now and yes, uh, the relationship between the two so Rhaenyra to start with really great protagonist I think uh portrayed by two incredible performers um mm-hmm. and yeah she develops in very interesting ways, I think, throughout the show. Yeah, she's definitely the protagonist for, you know, a good portion of the show. And like we kind of said earlier, I think Rhaenyra and Alicent, they sh- it's kind of like a dichotomy. They both have protagonist roles here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, the show is written in such a way that we're supposed to be building this emotional connection with Rhaenyra uh, throughout the especially in those first few episodes and yeah. i think it really works very well like she i even though you know she's like fully embracing incest and just kind of being like this in some ways a bad person um you know we do i i feel like the audience really sympathizes with her and rallies behind her cause over allison's that's just mm-hmm. my interpretation you know some people might like the high towers a little bit better but she, i think rhaenyra makes for a very good vocal character um and she's you know obviously they both really love their families um so it it, you know that obviously complicates things (laughs) yeah i i i really enjoy rhaenyra as a protagonist i think early Mm -hmm. on she's very charming but she's also kind of like a petulant child a little bit and is really yes 
Um, what makes her interesting is also what makes her like a problem for everyone else around her is that she just pushes the boundaries of everything she's allowed to do to the point where like it does get people killed. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's a, a fucking problem. Um, but she also like she's so interesting, like when she's first meeting with Leonor about their relationship. She's like, Look, man, I know you're gay. I don't really want to have sex with you. I want to have sex with other people. You can do your thing. I'll do mine. And we'll just like make kids and that'll be fine. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And she's just like so fun in that regard, (laughs) but, um, but also like, doesn't think about the harm that she might be causing to other people. I think, even though it's not her intent to do that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. the, The incest stuff is so weird still, but it's, it's just part of what this family does. And um, yeah, you can't get away from it in the world of Game of Thrones. It's always going to be there. And that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can't even get away from it in real world nobility either. Like all of the royal families in Europe were all inbred to each other. Like even even Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip were like distant cousins. And uh, right. Yeah. And uh, they're much less distant than you would initially think, because like their great grandparents or grandparents were first cousins. So like, <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, yeah there's, uh, <laughs> there, there's, there's a thing called the Habsburg jaw. I think it is. It's like the European families were so fucking inbred that they started to have like genetic deformities on their face. They had this weird, unique jawline because they just hmm. kept. And, um, and the reason they did it was the same reason the Targaryens do it. It was about bloodlines. They wanted to keep them pure. It was like noble blood. Um, in the Targaryen's case, it's to preserve connection with the dragons, or at least they think they need to do that. Um, but in the real world nobles case, it was just, uh, you know, elitism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There weren't that many noble families, so they just kind of kept marrying each other, which is pretty gross. (laughs) Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. On the flip side though, we got Alicent Hightower Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I think, you know, at the probably the first five episodes like as she becomes queen mm-hmm. um and everything like that i wasn't a huge fan of her character like i'll admit that okay um and i think it, you know it is because it is because i developed that emotional connection with rhaenyra you know mm-hmm. i was rooting for her uh, yeah. <laughs> um and i wanted to see her kind of win and just things go well for her so when allison was kind of getting in the way um that's kind of when i was like fuck you but <laughs> I think as the series goes on, um, I let that go more mm-hmm. so. And I'm just, she's nowhere near like a Cersei character who's just vile and horrible. Like Alicent has like, you know, I think she's got some good in her, uh, yeah. to put it bluntly. Like, you know, she kind of like we, we were saying earlier, she's just been so manipulated by the men in her life all mm-hmm. this time. And she's just trying to make the best out of a, uh, a difficult abusive situation yeah i i think i've seen so much hate for her online over the course of the show and i'm guessing a lot of that comes from the way she's written in fire and blood as mm-hmm. this sort of conniving um manipulative usurper uh but you know what i can't get on board the allison hightower hate train i think she has been put in a series of bad situations for the entirety of the show has no agency and is just trying to make the best of the hand she's been dealt. Like, yeah, 
Like, yeah. let, let's do a quick, quick run through. Like, she is basically pimped out by her dad to the king right after his wife dies because Otto is playing the fucking game and he knows if he can get his daughter to marry the king, like, boom, his house is in uh, contention for succession. Uh, and yes. then after that, she ends up having to marry the king, who she has no romantic feelings for at all, has the king's children, which inherently challenges Rhaenyra's succession and puts her kids at risk, which her father mm-hmm. emphasizes to her on several occasions, which exacerbates her rift with Rhaenyra. And then she's the only witness to Viserys changing his mind, which, in fairness to her, like, what was she supposed to make out of that? Uh, yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah. And, then, uh, and then she, after that, when he's dead, she discovers the entire small council, except for one guy, has been conspiring to put Aegon on the throne the entire time, with or without her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and of course, like, she's complicated because that is, in a sense, what she wants. But, but she's not, like, making power moves to do all of this stuff. She's been put in these situations by other people, and now she is making the best of what she can. And going forward, yeah. like, yeah, she's going to be part of this war. She's going to protect her children uh, because that's what she's been doing the whole time. But she wasn't put in that situation by her own manipulation. Um, also, small little note on the small mm-hmm. council. I love that they all have their little, like, ball that they put in the thing when they yes, show up. I don't funny. know why they do it, but it's like their little attendance chip. And I think it's just a fun little detail that they all do that. <laughs> yeah, I like that, too. I was like, okay, that's 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 weird. They didn't do that in the original, but I'm all for it. Yeah, customs um, change. But I, and I want to talk about both of our characters to, in together, though, because yes. I, I, I really enjoy um, and I think this is different from the book, but I really enjoy that both Rhaenyra and Allison, while fully pursuing their own goals and their own ends, we're basically the only two characters trying to prevent the realm from descending into all-out war. Like, mm-hmm. they, if that is their end goal, they were both pretty irresponsible with how they were handling things. But they do put in, they do put in effort to stop this while everyone around them is trying to, like, just go to war. Um, yeah, Alicent is the only one in the Green Council who doesn't want to kill Rhaenyra, Damon, and their kids, and Rhaenyra is the only one on the Black Council keeping them from calling all their banners and going to war right away. Like Damon is just itching to fight and she stops it. And in a room full of men, they're the only two that show any restraint whatsoever. I know. Yeah. It's, it's very, that's where the patriarchy stuff really comes in here. Cause like it's Mm -hmm. these men who have just been like, so like geared towards combat geared towards warfare and it's like you know it's like the hyper masculinity pumped up to 10 in the war room mm-hmm. they're like they're, they're discussing options and figuring out plans yada 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 and it's like yeah they're not thinking through like is there a diplomatic option is there right. some other path that we haven't thought of and it's like i you know i'm not saying that you know every guy is like that or every woman is a certain way either but it's it is kind of like you know, reflective of, uh, you know, I think some instilled stereotypes about genders mm-hmm. and you know, what it is, stuff, you know, yeah, systemic, you know, what it is to be masculine, what it is to be heroic, what it is to be feminine and mm-hmm. um, all that good stuff. Uh, so 
I thought I thought that was very interesting too. And I think mm-hmm. they, like we were saying earlier, I think that Rainier and Allison, they even though their 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 friendship is really rot now and it's mm-hmm. like kind of moot at this point, I think they still kind of were clinging on to some semblance of a you know kinship or whatever they could right. um, throughout it all, but. Alas, yeah. it didn't it, and nothing really lasted at least throughout this season and nothing, i love nothing that could stop it no yeah, yeah and I, I love rainier's clarity in the finale though like she understands what her charge is her charge is to protect the realm and she's like if yes. i descended into war i'm not doing my job and i maybe i'm reading the episode incorrectly but i really felt like there was a possibility that she backs down i think she was honestly considering not fighting and i think a lot of like when she sends her sons off i think part of that is almost just to improve their negotiating position for going forward um Mm -hmm. and uh now there's the point of no return has been crossed right but it wasn't by them it wasn't even by people really it was by the dragons acting out um but i and a lot of people are kind of like making fun of or don't like the idea that this war is actually started not by um political maneuvering but more by misunderstanding and now by like animals be misbehaving basically but i think that manages to keep both of these characters pretty sympathetic and also add a level of tragedy to what's about to happen which i think is going to be very sad um yes. and i can I'm, I'm just picturing a scene late in the show where allison and rhaenyra are face to face at some point and Allison says, like, I, he told me this is what he wanted. He's talking about, like, Aegon, he has to be king in this dream. And Rhaenyra realizing exactly what she's talking about and just being like, God damn it. Like, no, no, mm-hmm. like, none of this had to, like, I think that is really Shakespearean, um, actually. Yes. Uh, it's like, they, like, none of this had to happen. And these two people with the calmer heads, like, could have worked it out if these other people had not accelerated to violence. Um, yes. Like it was just a misunderstanding. Everything that's about to happen could have been prevented. I think that's going to be really interesting. And I think and hope we get that moment because I can just, yeah. I can just see like, I can see Emma D'Arcy's performance, like reacting with the realization of what happened. And mm-hmm. it's going to be so sad because <laughs> yeah. by that point it's too late. Her kid's dead. The, the bridge has been crossed, you know. But Yeah, all these people have already died. Cities mm-hmm. have been lit on fire. Yeah, I think that's yeah. going to be very interesting. And I agree with you there. It does feel Shakespearean. And, you know, when we think back to the original Game of Thrones too, like what really does kick it off is all this political maneuvering. It's all this mm-hmm. conspiring. It's all this like kind of stuff going on. And then, you know, King Baratheon like gets, gets injured on a hunting trip mysteriously. Yeah. And it's like, that's someone fucking around in the background. And then there's this whole like claim for power. Um, and those like final episodes of the, of the first season yeah. um, between, you know, like dead Stark, like trying to do the right thing. And then, you know, the Lannisters like just like mm-hmm. putting their foot on the throne. And like, so I think, you know, yeah, there is an element of that in this show here, but like, I appreciate that they are saying are, are going out on something new and they're not saying this is just because of politics. Mm-hmm. This is, because of something else's misunderstanding it's animalistic in nature and it's like you know i think that's going to be more interesting especially when you consider like the the family dynamics and like how Mm -hmm. this is one house 
it's going to be much more interesting, I think, than like, you know, if it was just like one person really conspiring evilly against the other, then right. you have then you have a very clear set villain and a very clear set like hero character. This mm-hmm. one, I feel like is a little bit more split. You can kind of be on one side or the other, uh, depending on how you approach the series. Right. And it's, um, I think that at some point early on the show, it says like the only thing that can destroy the house of the dragon is itself. So yes. like this isn't, this was inevitable in some sense, but I do love that both characters, like in episode eight at the dinner, um, they, they both seem genuinely happy to bury the hatchet. Like, yes, Viserys asks for it, and Rhaenyra makes a pretty mature step and acknowledges the good that Alicent has done for her family, and Alicent responds in kind, and they seem, like, happy to see each other again, like, mm-hmm. on good terms. And then, uh, but it, but at the, oh, in, in the inside the episode, they mention this, that, um, the two of them and the older generations are pretty, pretty satisfied and like, let's put this behind us, but the kids don't have that history and that context mm-hmm. for like how close they used to be. So they just dig in their heels, um, like laughing at the pig on the table and all that shit. And then poor Viserys just exacerbates everything by completely fucking up immediately before he dies. <laughs> but yeah, but right. it's like, it just adds to the tragedy because it's like, this close they were so close but Mm -hmm. not to be but what a season of tv man what a surprise i'm I'm very satisfied with it overall and yeah like Mm -hmm. we were saying earlier like i didn't ask for the show and i wasn't certainly like eager to watch it but i'm glad they made it because it's a great journey back into the world of westeros and Mm -hmm. dragons and all this great stuff it's very interesting and I'm looking forward to season two. Dylan, do you have any big predictions for the next season at this point? Um, not super specific predictions, but I think, and I have not read Fire and Blood, and I'm not yeah, planning either. to until after the show because apparently it's more of a history of the time period than a novel. And I'd rather experience these events with the emotion of a story. Um, yeah. I just think this is going to be a complete bloodbath. I think, <laughs> I think, nearly every character we've been following so far will be dead by the end of the show. I, I think we'll have maybe three or four survivors and that's it. <laughs> I think, I think you're, you're onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bold claim game of Thrones spinoff kills characters. Whoa. Ooh, ooh, everyone's <laughs> going to die. Oh shit. <laughs> but like, I think it, even to a greater extent than game of Thrones, this cast mm-hmm. is going to die. But I, I did, um, just you were talking about season one of Thrones, like when, how everything starts going to shit. Like, remember how season one of Game of Thrones was like our tutorial for how this world is going to work? Because like Ned puts his trust in the wrong people and then fucking dies. (laughs) Our main character just Mm -hmm. gets chopped. And none of us at the time were ready for that. And now it's just the expectation. Like, but even then I'm like, oh yeah, Lucerius, you got it, man. You're almost out of there. It's like, ah, nope. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's it's a brutal world. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's going to be plenty of blood to come. I got small character predictions. I could okay. be very wrong here, um, but I think you know I would. I think that uh, Larry Strong, the little finger character that we've been talking about, I think he's uh-huh. going to continue trying to climb that ladder a little bit. Okay. And I think he's 
at least right now, I think he's either going to get to, you know, the position of hand after auto dies or whatever, or mm-hmm. he even might like try and like, you know, get or, or marry Alicent. I don't know how that would fucking work, but he's kind of moving in that direction <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, in my eyes. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I think as time goes on, I think there's going to be a rift that will grow between Renera and Damon. Hmm. Um, again could totally be wrong about that but you know in that final or in the in the finale you know he there is kind of a small glimpse of that where damon's trying to kind of like order everyone around and stuff yeah and she's the queen and he kind of like you know kind of strangles her for a small second so mm-hmm. i think there there might be some tension there that they might explore um, but okay. he also does seem very loyal at this point too because he was going under he was he was summoning that dragon um that we saw mm-hmm. or at least like you know beckoning it out of the shadows right. um and i think you know given the history of the og series i think there were due for some parallels or at least some kind of return returning motifs or something like that so i think we might get something similar to a red wedding mm-hmm. might not be the entire kind of like way that goes or maybe not even a purple wedding uh, but you know maybe something similar to that some kind of big surprise scene oh, the purple wedding was so satisfying yes that was <laughs> amazing um, and, you know, I, and since we saw Sir Laner go off um, with his gay lover abroad, um, I imagine that he will return to Westeros at some point, or mm-hmm. at least some, he'll have some small role in the, in the future series. Maybe he'll bring like a garrison to Westeros for them, or maybe it's yeah. something like that to help out his former wife, or maybe it'll be something completely different. Who knows? You know, um, what was a surprise for me about that, actually, I... I half expected when um, Corliss and Rhaenys fully declare for Rhaenyra at the end, like in private, I kind of expected her to just let him know that he was alive, like mm. as a little as a little treat, you know, just as a reward for their loyalty. Um, yeah. I, I, we, actually, we never really talked about Lord Corliss. I love Lord Corliss. He's such an interesting guy. Yes. Lord Corliss <laughs> is awesome. He's very the cool. Sea snake, like. His house, I guess, dies out at some point in the next 200 years. And the drift mark is gone, I suppose. But their castle was really neat, too. They had, like, a low water crossing out to it. I um, like that, yeah. All the new castles we saw were really cool, by the way. Like, Storm's mm-hmm. End, the drift mark. I think that's it. Um, but I think so. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember any others. But, yeah, I love Lord Colas. He was so neat. I hope we see more of him in the future. Yeah. Um, I have a question, actually, that I just thought of. Does this make you, in the interim, in between now and season two, want to revisit Game of Thrones? Oh. I I don't know. I mean, we got, <laughs> I think, what is it, two years until the next season comes out? It's going to be, like yeah, that? it's going to be a while. That is plenty of time to rewatch Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, but, you know. I, I I'm not entirely sure. I feel like I already know the story really well. Maybe I'll revisit, you know, some of the books, but yeah, right now I'm, I'm kind of content to wait. There's plenty of other things to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, kind of the, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, yeah. I like, I, especially the early seasons of Thrones. Like I just kept introducing it to people. So I think I've seen the first four seasons like five times. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, I feel like I've seen some of those episodes like a million times. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I was just thinking about Game of Thrones earlier when I was walking Shadow. I'm like, there were some great parts of that show, man. Like, just excellent. Mm. I, I, I know it's like the ending will always leave the strongest impression. Right. But 
Yes. God damn, that was a good show. <laughs> it really was. Those like, first six seasons are just fire. They're just incredible. I um, love season I, seven too. I'm a defender of that, but yeah, I thought it was all right. I, I'm a defender maybe because early on in the show, and I may have even told this to you in college, but I was like, I just want one scene towards the end where all of the surviving characters have to sit around a table and talk about what to do about the White Walkers. And I got yes. it. And it was what <laughs> it was like basically what I wanted. It was great. Um, so that <laughs> satisfied me for season seven. But yeah, that wasn't too bad. The, the show does get more like schlocky in the last couple seasons, that's for sure. And then yeah. it gets horrifying at the very end. Yeah. But um, House of the Dragon, season one, huge recommend. Excited for season two. I think it's time to talk about some other stuff. What do you think? Yes. Some other stuff. Yeah. The final what? segment of our show, just talking about other things we're watching, reading, or doing at this time. Mm -hmm. Dylan, what have you been up to lately, aside from House of the Dragon? All right. So I finished the Accidental Presidents book, finally. <laughs> so nice. got, got through all that. It was a very interesting read. Um, and then I started the second Mistborn saga now. So Mistborn, Alloy of Law. And uh, well, how we, we talked about earlier, you kind of mentioned like technological progress doesn't really hasn't really happened in Westeros in these 200 years. Well, and it's true in a lot of fantasy, but not in Mistborn. Uh, the new Mistborn series, or it's not new, new to me, uh, takes place 300 years after the original trilogy. And the first trilogy is in like more fantasy era. And now they have like, it's more like Victorian England, Old West era. Uh, depending mm -hmm. on if they're in the city or the country, it seems like. So they have guns, electric lights now, like people wear more suits. So I'm like, cool. It's a totally different vibe. Um, enjoying that so far. I'm only like 40 pages in, but you know, it's cool. good. Uh, also back on the World of Warcraft train, new expansion coming out soon. So been mm -hmm. been uh, leveling a new character up to max level to main in the new expansion. So doing that. Nice. Finished finished uh, Rings of Power also. And um, yeah, I, I don't think it doesn't seem like we're going to do an episode on it, but I for the most part like Rings of Power. The pacing is bad uh, straight <laughs> straight up. Um, but I like the characters. I like the performances. I like the new environments that we did not get to see in the era of Lord of the Rings because they don't mm -hmm. exist anymore. Um, yeah, overall, I, I'm mostly fond of it, but I hope season two irons out some of the kinks in the writing because there were some serious problems, mostly the pacing, but then mm -hmm. also there's a weird, and I'm curious if you feel the same once you're done with the season, but there are a lot of scenes where I was watching and I'm like, I don't know what you want me to be feeling right now. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, I was just emotionally confused, especially in the finale by a lot of parts. There are some scenes where mm -hmm. I'm like, like the characters are sort of silently doing things while the music is playing. And I'm like, am I supposed to feel apprehensive or is it sinister or are they happy to be? I, I don't know. I was confused. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but curious for your thoughts later on. What about you? Yeah, I'll get started on that show at some point soon. Um, <laughs> I haven't been watching too much uh, crazy stuff lately. Um, the only thing that I will really note is um, I watched um, 
uh, the Studio Ghibli film, The Cat Returns. And I thought it was delightful. It is so much fun. Uh, It's, you know, it's the classic Studio Ghibli kind of stuff. uh, But, you know, it's like kind of about... um, uh, this this girl who's a little bit shy, and then she basically saves this cat, and the cat can talk. And Aww. apparently, there's a whole secret cat society, and oh my God. It's like they can all talk, and it's just so much fun. Uh, I, I don't think it's the best uh, Studio Ghibli film, you know. I feel like I've kind of passed some of those, but you know, I still got plenty to watch, like Porco Rosso and mm-hmm. uh, other other films that I haven't um, you know fully experienced yet. But I. I would recommend the cat returns as well (laughs) cool um and i guess one more thing i don't know if i finished it when we recorded the last episode but i finished attack on titan or caught up so oh yeah 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 Yeah. you you mentioned that to me the other day yeah Yeah. uh crazy show wow (laughs) yeah i'll need to watch that one it's really dope (laughs) (laughs) very cool yeah but um you got anything else this episode no i i think that's gonna do it but you know we'll we want to thank everyone who's been listening to our podcast and listen to this episode. We greatly appreciate any kind of support we get any listens. Um, if you like the show, feel free to give us a review that gives us uh, some, some help in the long run. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if there's something that you want us to talk about, um, feel free to like, uh, you know, tweet at us, let us know yeah. if there's anything that, you know, there's a series that you want us to watch. We, we will, we'll take uh, you know, listener suggestions from time to time and uh, check that stuff out. Um, for but sure. On, and our, our next episode will be in two weeks. Uh, I don't think we've decided what we're talking about yet. We have um, not. Let's look at the we'll, release schedule. Hold on. Yeah. Fandango. We'll, we'll figure that out. Uh, but yeah, if you like this podcast, feel free to give us a like, a follow. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate that too. Um, but until our next episode, uh, Dylan, where can people find you online? On Twitter at D-Day Movies, on Instagram at DylanD1026, on YouTube at D-Day Movies, and on Twitch at D-Day underscore Movies. What about you? Where can people find you online? Follow me on Instagram at MilesGotNoStyles. Um, that's going to be it for me yeah. <laughs> at this point. And uh, all that's linked in the description. If you want to find us, just follow those links. But uh, thank you all again so much. We will see you guys next time. Bye. 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 Bye.